Hi, I'm Pastor Kaylee. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Wood Street Chapel in Fortuna, California. You can find out more information about our church at www.woodstreetchapel.org. During Nehemiah's day, God's people were discouraged. God's people were directionless. And God raised up a leader to inspire other leaders to reinstate God's people by uniting together for God's original purposes. So these people were met with significant challenges. They continued to press on to to complete the work that was assigned to them. And as we study this book together as a church, there is a calling for us to prayerfully accept that, that is on our lives as well, just as, as we see in this, this book of Nehemiah. That there is, is work to be done in, amongst the people of God. Thank you, Diane. That there is work to be done in this place, and there is work to be done outside of these four walls as well. Over the next 13 weeks, we will be covering the individual chapters of Nehemiah, starting this morning with Nehemiah 1 through 11. And what we're going to be talking about today is, what do we do when things aren't what they're supposed to be? And I have to believe that there have been times in your life, either personally or, or in a church setting or, or whatever, where you have recognized, this is not right. Something is not right. And what we do in response to that is critical. So good morning, welcome. I'm so glad that you are all here this morning. For those of you wondering why we're coming back to the Old Testament to hear about some guy who goes back to his hometown to to build a wall, Trust me, there's a point, I I promise. And no, we're not starting a building project. And no, we're not making some political statement or commentary on border security. It has nothing to do with any of those things. The reason we are here in this place in Scripture is because it shows us an average, everyday guy who is overwhelmed by the condition of the people of God to the point that he is prompted to action. Remember when we met two weeks ago, I asked that we we go through this study and that we pay special attention to the character of Nehemiah and to the actions that Nehemiah takes. We pay attention to character because that informs action. And I'm not going to do this every time, but I think we need a quick catch-up just to get us all in the right spot, just so that we're, we're all starting from the same spot. And yes, I know we've, we've had two weeks kind of leading into this, but, but it's important for us to understand where it is that we're coming from. So we're going to start. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Matt, do we really have to go that far back? Yeah, we, we do. I, I, it's it going to be okay, I promise. So the, the one bit of creation that was made in God's own image decided to choose their own way. Listening to temptation and stepping away from God's plan, Adam and Eve chose their own way instead of recognizing so much better your way, right? And so they make this decision to 
to step outside of God's plan for creation in the beginning. God's plan started in the beginning, and as we saw at the end of our last study, right, on the book of Revelation, it's moving ever forward to his perfect plan coming about again. God's people enjoying God's presence in God's place. This is, we're going to be touching on this a lot. This is the point. So sin escalates to the point where God is forced to send a flood to start over with creation. And even after creation starts over, sin still hinders humankind. God picks from creation a man named Abraham and promises that through him all of the nations of the earth will be blessed. From Abraham we have Isaac, from Isaac we have Jacob, and from Jacob we have a whole bunch of kids. And thus we have the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel grows until another nation, Egypt, puts the nation of Israel into slavery. God's plan continued to be for his people to be enjoying his presence in his place. And so an exodus needed to happen for that to take place. God rescues his people and they head into a promised land. And that lasts for all about like five minutes until we see this ongoing cycle of of sin, of judgment, of redemption, and it happens over and over and over and over again if you read the Old Testament. And eventually the people of God ask for a king so that they can be like all of the other nations. And so they get Saul, the king that they asked for, but not the king that they needed. Saul's a complete mess. And then we have David, who's a man after God's own heart, but for every Goliath success that David has, there's a Bathsheba mistake that's hanging out somewhere. David has a son named Solomon. Solomon asks for wisdom from God, and he's granted the request. He's given wisdom, and and Solomon uses the wisdom to lead the people of God. And we see this, this move towards God's people being in God's presence, in God's place. And it seems like it's coming about, but then Solomon starts falling away. He doesn't apply that wisdom to his own life. And eventually we see that the nation splits. Israel here, Judah over here. King after king sits on the throne as things start to spiral out of control. God sends his prophets to get the people's attention. Hey, wake up. There is no way that this is where you're supposed to be. This this is not the the calling that exists on God's people. And and the the people of God maybe have this, this idea that there's no way that God would take his people out of his place, enjoying his presence. And sure, there there's maybe not a way that God's gonna do that, but you're doing a pretty great job of it yourself. You are making these choices to step away from God's best in your life. And so Babylon comes in and Babylon destroys Israel and and the people are removed from God's place and they're taken to Babylon in exile. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans I have for you. We like that verse. Everybody likes that verse. But it's talking about this context. I know the plans I have for you. And yes, those plans involve you being in exile for the next 70 years. So you better get comfortable. I know the plans I have for you, but before that, you're going to go through some difficulty. Before that, there are consequences to the actions. There are consequences to your choices. 
plant roots. Pick out a good supermarket to start shopping at because you're going to be there for a while. So now we have a nation trying to live for God when they can't be in God's place, experiencing God's presence the way that they used to, struggling to be God's people. And 70 years pass, and now we have people stepping up saying, it's time to go back to God's place. That's where we, we have Ezra. That's where we start seeing some things come out of Nehemiah. And then we have this king of Persia that shows up and says, sure, what do you need? And they go and they build a temple, but news comes back to Persia that things, once again, aren't going the way that they're supposed to. That things are, once again, starting to fall apart for the people of God. And so throughout this entire time, whether it was Eden, whether it was the promised land, whether it was a tabernacle, a temple, or one day the new heaven and the new earth, the goal has always been from the very beginning to the very end, God's people experiencing God's presence in God's place. From the very beginning to the very end. If you remember when we read this story, when we worked through the story, we could see it time after time after time. That was always the goal, that God's people would be with God. That's what he wants. And so now we have Nehemiah who has received word that, that things are not going well at, at Jerusalem. And he has a burden to do something about it. Nehemiah's burden is how do we get back to being God's people in God's place, in God's presence? How do we do that? And maybe the better question, and the, the question that's relevant for our chapter today, is what do we do when things aren't what they're supposed to be? Because ultimately, that's, that's the, the question that Nehemiah is, is faced with. What am I supposed to do when I know this isn't what God has called me to? This, this isn't the best that God has for me, and so what do I do? Nehemiah 1, 1 through 4. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. And they said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province and are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. And when I heard these things, I sat down and wept for some days. I mourned and I fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. So as we start out here, we, we learn that Nehemiah has been exiled along with everyone else, along with the vast majority of the nation. Let's put it that way. And we're going to see in a second, he has, he's got a pretty cushy job. He has a secure position and a relatively good life in the moment. And Nehemiah asks the, the person that's coming from Jerusalem, hey, what, what's going on back home? And Nehemiah knows that the walls of Jerusalem have been down for like 10 years. The walls have been down for 10 years. It's been a decade 
and they still haven't put them back together. They, they went back and, and they, they rebuilt the temple, but, but 10 years later, after they rebuilt the temple, there's still no wall that's come up. They're still not able to finish it? What's going on? The people of God are not thriving. In fact, they are struggling in every way. The, the first important thing to recognize when we start looking at, at Nehemiah and the character and the example that he, he lives is that it would have been very easy to look at, hear, receive that information, to receive that news and say, well, that's a bummer. And back to, to everyday life. That's, that's unfortunate. I really wish that they would do better. I'll pray for them. It would have been so easy to say, well, I, I don't need to worry about that. I, I have my own responsibilities here. I have something that, that I'm dealing with. I have my own plans. I have, I have all of these things that are on my schedule that I need to take care of. Those are not my monkeys, and those are definitely not my circus, right? If you've heard that phrase. Um, that's just not something that I need to deal with. And yet there's something that stirs within him that gives him a burden for the people of God, regardless of how many miles away he is from them. Regardless of how secure he is personally. And so what is Nehemiah's response? And we talked about this the, the first week that we went into Nehemiah. His response was to fast, to pray, and to mourn. This was the, the prayer that we covered when we went through our overview of it. But let's just focus on that action for just a moment. When Nehemiah finds himself overwhelmed with the, the burden of caring for God's people, he doesn't disappear into, insert your own coping mechanism here, whether that's disappearing into a Netflix series for the next two weeks, whether it's, it's just falling asleep in your bed and staying there for, for the whole day, whether it's eating you know, unending you know, plates of food. He, he doesn't disappear into anything like that. He prays. When Nehemiah was overwhelmed, he prayed. And Nehemiah prayed before developing the strategy to implement. So often I find myself bringing my whiteboard to God and saying, okay, I'm, I need to pray about this, this thing that I've put together. All of my X's and O's are, are going this way with the arrow going up here. And, and I have this plan and now I need you to bless it, please. But what Nehemiah does is he, he just starts at the very beginning and he prays. One author says that while the church can get so distracted in talking about things that need to be prayed for that, that they never actually pray. But another says, if you're desperate enough, you will always find time to pray. 
How many of you find that, that, that when that desperation exists in your life, there is nothing better than that to draw you to the most deepest times of prayer in your life? When there are those needs that exist that are so far beyond your ability. One specific point that I want to look at in this prayer, and we're not going to take a ton of time in the prayer this morning, but if you look at verse 8, there is a word that is so important. The very first word in the NIV translation says, remember. This is Nehemiah talking to God saying, remember. Remember your promise. Remember, we, we just sang it this morning that, that his grace is enough. And it said, remember your children, remember your people, remember your promise, O oh God. And that's, that's the prayer of Nehemiah, is that, is that God remember. Does God forget? No. Nehemiah is recalling a promise that God made. And get this, this is very important. Nehemiah is basing his entire prayer request that he is bringing before God on a promise that God has already made. You already promised all of this. And so I'm coming saying, I want to be a part of what it is that you are promising. I want to be a part of what your plans are for your people. It, It says right here, remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place that I have chosen as a dwelling place for my name. God, my prayer is that you would do what you promised. We messed up. We we did what you told us not to do. But God, we're ready to do what you've called us to do now. We're ready to return. We're ready to obey the commands. And God, now we want you to remember your promise that when we return and when we obey, then you will bring us together and you will return us to the place that is a dwelling for your name. That's the prayer. How powerful is it to show up and say, God, my prayer is that you would do what you promise. You are faithful, and so I'm here expecting your faithfulness. Verse 10. I want you to listen to how often you and your show up here. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. You, 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 your, your, your. This has nothing to do with Nehemiah needing anything. And it sounds foreign to us sometimes because so often my prayers are filled with me, me, my, I need, I would like, I, God, we want to see you do this for us, right? There's this focus that, that falls to us, but, but what was Jesus' prayer? 
Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's not about me, it's about you and how I fit into what it is that you're doing on this earth. Sure, Nehemiah is concerned about the people of God who are struggling, but it's more than that. Nehemiah is not just concerned about the nation of Israel. He's not just concerned about Jerusalem and a building project to put walls up. Nehemiah has concern for the name of God. He has concern for God's reputation. Nehemiah's concern of the people's good was emboldened for the sake of God's glory. God, there are people here who think they have defeated you, and I'm praying that this be the time that you show yourself as stronger. The way that we as a nation have handled ourselves, the way that we as a nation that has been called by your name has, has blemished your name, has given you a bad name, and I'm coming to repent for that so that your glory can be seen for what it truly is. What a awesome prayer. Do you know another way to say that? God, I want to see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Ultimately, that's what Nehemiah is, is praying. And, and he doesn't even know <laughs> that, that that's the, the model for the prayer that Jesus is going to give later on, right? But ultimately, that's what he's saying. God, I want to see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. I want to see your name be made great. I want to see your people be made great. I want to see your city made great. I want to see God's people in God's place experiencing God's presence. That's God's kingdom. And he was cupbearer to the king, <laughs> is the, the very last verse of that chapter. And he was cupbearer to the king. And that comes out of left field, right? And Greg shared last week about how trusted a position that was, how trusted a role that was. That was the guy that made sure that the king didn't get poisoned. Do you know how the king before that died? He got poisoned. <laughs> yeah, so, so this is a big deal. Being cupbearer is not the logical next step to wall builder. Or excuse me, reverse that. Being a wall builder is not the logical next step to being the cupbearer. That's not like cupbearing part two is how to, to put together a wall. That should be encouraging. Even though things seem completely random, even though things seem completely disconnected, God is orchestrating events in your life according to his purposes. Because there is no way that Nehemiah could have moved on to be the wall builder had he not been the cupbearer first. That was the required next step. And no one logically would have looked at that saying, oh, yeah, let's, let's do that. But God knows. Even though things seem completely random, God is orchestrating events in your life according to his purposes.
So what do we do? How, how does this apply to us today? Are we all supposed to go out and like, start building walls around our, our neighborhood or something? No, we are, are called to pray first. If the spiritual condition of the people of God doesn't move us to desperate prayer, then we are not paying attention. And there's a super important point of clarification. Greg, I think you mentioned this. It's, it is so easy to read Nehemiah and to see that Nehemiah is worried about the people of Israel. He's worried about the nation of Israel and say, okay, I need to be worried about the United States of America because that's, that's the nation that we belong to, right? But that's not it. Sure, pray for the nation of America, absolutely. Geography isn't the issue here. Nehemiah isn't worried about Israel, the nation. He's worried about God's people. And at that time in the Old Testament, those were one and the same. God's, God's people were an actual nation. That's not the case for us today. Today, the, the people of God span every tribe, tongue, and nation. And so, so that, that is who we need to be looking to. That is who, where we need to, to come and, and expect restoration, redemption. We're not supposed to be shocked when we see Babylon acting like Babylon. We're not supposed to. That, that, that shouldn't be surprising to us. What should be surprising to us, what should, what should spark us to action is when the church is acting like Babylon. And so we need to come to a place of repentance so that we don't find ourselves looking exactly like the world that we're supposed to stand apart from. There is chaos amongst the people of God. And so the the chaos of Jerusalem woke Nehemiah up. The chaos of Jerusalem broke Nehemiah. The chaos of Jerusalem led Nehemiah to worship. The chaos of Jerusalem led Nehemiah to go out and do something. What is the chaos in your life leading you to? Is it leading you to worship or or is it leading you to bitterness? Is it leading you to get to work for God's glory or is it leading you to pout and sit in the corner and say, man, I wish it wasn't like this. If I didn't have to deal with those people, then everything would be just fine. Is the chaos in your life forcing you to sit on the sidelines or is it prompting you to get in the game? I don't, I don't get to choose that. That's, that's an individual choice. It's an individual question. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we come and we first ask that you would open our eyes. Open our eyes to see the, the burden, to see the, the need that exists. God, we ask that you would, would break our hearts for the things that that sadden you, God, the things that, 
that are counter to, to your command. And Lord, as we continue in this study, Lord, help us to, to understand the, the call that you have placed on every single one of us. Maybe you haven't called each and every one of us to go out and build a wall, Lord, but, but you have. In different ways, you have called each and every one of us to, to bring about the people of God returning to your place and your presence. God, we want to come back. In, in whatever way that looks for each one of us, we want to come back to your presence and to your place, God. Lord, we thank you that from the very beginning until the very end, You have a plan. From the very beginning to the very end, you have a design for your people. Your people in your presence, in your place. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like more information about Wood Street Chapel, check out our website, woodstreetchapel.org, or email us, info at woodstreetchapel.org. Connect with us on Facebook to stay in the loop.